Hello, and welcome to the Energy Policy Now podcast from the Climate Center for Energy Policy at the University of Pennsylvania. I'm Andy Stone. In his short term in office, President Donald Trump has moved to make good on his campaign promise to roll back environmental regulations. Most notably, this last week of March, former President Obama's Clean Power Plan. Trump is, in fact, looking to a variety of political and legal tools to carry out rollbacks. These include the issuance of executive orders, the defunding of government agencies with environmental oversight, and an obscure rule that allows Congress to overturn regulations issued in the final months of a previous administration. Yet success isn't assured. In some cases, environmental protections have come about due to legal requirement that they exist. On today's podcast, we'll explore the legal path that President Trump's regulatory rollbacks will take and the degree to which those efforts may succeed. Here to walk us through the issues today is our guest, Carrie Colonizzi. Carrie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Carrie is professor of law and political science at the University of Pennsylvania and director of the Penn Program on Regulation. He specializes in the study of regulation and regulatory processes and has served as an advisor to the U.S. Department of Transportation and the Environmental Protection Agency. He is the founder of the Regulatory Review, the flagship publication of the Penn Program on Regulation. So, Kerry, just to get started out, the Trump administration's effort to roll back environmental regulations is actually part of a a bigger regulatory rollback. What exactly is going on here? Well, the... uh uh, candidate Trump uh, in, in, the, in the election process uh, repeatedly said that he wants to roll back uh, and reduce regulations massively. And now we see a President Trump after the election trying to deliver on those campaign promises. Uh, he was uh, with his rhetoric uh, on the campaign trail appealing to Americans who are concerned about uh, sluggish economic growth, about uh, changes in the, the labor markets, uh, the outflow of manufacturing jobs. Some of these uh, trends are, are are largely systemic, and they and they're, they're functions of a market economy. But uh, uh, and, and a president can't control all of these things. Uh, but what they what they what a president can control. Uh, and his administration can control his regulation. So uh, it makes regulation a, a target of something that uh, uh, this administration uh, wants to address and on a number of different fronts, including uh, most recently the effort to try to repeal and replace uh, the Affordable Care Act in the health care area. We're also likely to see uh, in, in the broader sphere of regulation changes in financial regulatory rules, as well as uh, w- rules on the environment and climate. There is a, a broad range of environmental rules that he's looking to roll back. Is there an overall environmental strategy that he has here? Well, I guess the overall environmental strategy seems to be that less is better uh, when it comes to environmental regulations. Uh, you know, the president has even said that he'd like to see overall regulations reduced by 75 percent. Not clear exactly what that means. Uh, what you take as the denominator is not clear. But but the, the, what is clear is the direction of the administration is to uh, – scale back the the regulatory apparatus that has uh, built up to protect the public uh, from various environmental 
harms. And uh, we see the administration moving uh, at this stage on a number of different fronts. First, uh, the president's appointed someone as EPA administrator who's not really uh, enthusiastic about new regulations. Scott so Pruitt. Scott Pruitt will be a former attorney general of Oklahoma and someone who had in that capacity been suing the EPA over a number of in federal environmental regulations. He's now in charge of the EPA. Uh, we see a, a budget proposal by the administration that would cut the EPA's budget by 31 percent if that actually uh, gets uh, enacted into law. And we see uh, the administration targeting some high-profile and, and highly controversial rules that were issued during the Obama administration. Uh, one important rule reflecting uh, the jurisdiction and, and the reach of the federal government on water pollution control, the wa so-called Waters of the U.S. rule. Uh, and and we've seen now an executive order that calls on the EPA to revisit that. And then, uh, as you mentioned, um, you know, just this past week, uh, the executive order on climate, which, among other things, is uh, directing the EPA to revisit its uh, clean power plan that the Obama administration had issued. So um, I think we're going to see in terms of an overall strategy uh, very few new regulations developed mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of effort to revisit some old regulations and and perhaps rescind those or, or scale them back in some way. One of the things that, that hits me as striking about this effort is that there are so many different regulations of so many different types. And you just kind of hit on that right here. But some of these are statutory laws uh, right. developed in Congress. Those are regulations issued by uh, executive branch agencies such as the EPA, the Interior. Um, how does this variety make it more complex, what you set well, out? Yeah, so uh, you're right that uh, there's – I would divide the world of regulations into two. You could divide – two parts. You could divide them and slice them and dice them in many different ways. But for our purposes here, I think it's important to distinguish between – rules that an agency has complete discretion about whether it should adopt or not. It, it just has uh, an agency like the EPA may have a general mandate to uh, address a environmental problems, uh, air pollution problems broadly, and then it uses its discretion sometimes to regulate or sometimes not to regulate. Uh, so that's one type of rule. The other type of rule, as you indicate, uh, is actually mandated by statute. And so uh, coming up in another year or so, here's an example of one of these, that there's a requirement in the Clean Air Act for the EPA to revisit and, um, and, and, and maybe even tighten up uh, some of its ambient air quality standards that deal with ordinary pollutants that that, that address uh, uh, the public health in cities and around the country, uh, ozone standards, particulate standards, and so forth. Uh, there may be some indication that this EPA would actually tighten up in response to that statutory mandate some of the standards say on particulate matters, which has – there's very clear evidence that exposure to particulates can have very serious health harms and even be associated with an increase in premature um, mortality. So um, it, it's possible to see in response to some of these statutory mandates, the EPA still having to, to, to at least consider 
some new regulations. Uh, even the rules that I just mentioned, like the waters of the U.S. rule, that's really something that the agency has actually been trying to put in place uh, for quite some time now, well over a, a decade. Uh, to, and, and, and they've been back and forth in court over whether they're doing it properly or not. So even if um, uh, the EPA is successful in rescinding the waters of the U.S. rule that the Obama team had developed, they really will need to still develop a rule um, because of the, the underlying statute calling for that uh, to take place. So they'll have to come up with a new waters of the U.S. rule. And the same thing is true on climate as well. Um, it's been really the courts that have driven the EPA to enter the area of regulating climate change under the Clean Air Act. Um, initially, the, under the Bush administration, the EPA said, we don't have authority under the Clean Air Act really to address climate change. But the Supreme Court in a decision, Massachusetts versus EPA, said, no, you know, you really do need to go forward and, 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 and look at climate change. And, and, and the agency in response to that court decision has made an endangerment finding uh, uh, that says that climate change is real and it is something that deserves to be uh, addressed. And that triggered a requirement uh, that the EPA develop automobile emissions and fuel economy standards for dealing with climate uh, effects. There's very similar language uh, about an endangerment finding for stationary sources. And since the agency's made an endangerment finding under the automobile provisions, they're going to be hard-pressed to hold off for much longer without making some kind of endangerment finding or doing something on stationary sources. So again, this there's there's a realm of regulations that are are totally up to the agencies, but then agencies are also operating against a backdrop of statutory requirements that may well uh, uh, prevent the Trump administration from rolling back too far and may even in times require them to do something, uh, even though, of course, the something that they do will probably be, uh, you know, probably less uh, stringent than, than what we would have seen under the Obama well, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to hit on that issue, the clean power plan and the endangerment mm -hmm. finding. Yeah. Uh, clean power plan, plan being kind of the elephant in the room here, yeah. if we can call it that. So the endangerment finding applied to mobile sources, cars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It didn't apply to what is driving the clean power plan? Yeah, well, so, uh, yeah, the clean power plan is being developed under a provision of the Clean Air Act, technically, Section 111D, for any listeners who are really interested in the, that level of detail. Uh, it's a provision in the Clean Air Act that's been seldom used by the agency, and some say it might not have even really been intended ever to be used for addressing uh, major pollution problems like climate change from power plants. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why the Clean Power Plan has been sort of uh, tied up in court uh, over whether that provision is quite right and, in, and even intended to, to provide authority for the Clean Power Plan. The um, there is an endangerment provision for stationary sources if the EPA makes that kind of endangerment finding for stationary sources. And by that, I mean factories and, and, power, and, plants. and power plants and so forth. Uh, that would trigger a set of requirements that 
probably don't really fit well with the uh, the kind of pollution that we're dealing with with climate change, which are greenhouse gases or global air pollutants. If the EPA makes an endangerment finding under stationary sources, or if a court, might, which might be more likely, compels the agency finally to make that endangerment finding, then what the agency is supposed to do is develop a national standard for how much CO2 can be in the air, that might be doable. But then then states have to, to come up with plans to get their air uh, in, within their boundaries below those national limits. The problem with a globally mixed air pollutant, of course, is that it doesn't respect state boundaries. Mm-hmm. And so even if the United States let's say in a uh, in the next few years a very high hypothetical example if the united states were to uh, eliminate all carbon emissions all emissions of greenhouse gases there would still be greenhouse gas emissions floating over the body of land called the united states coming from places like india china and so forth so the whole apparatus of the clean air act has always been uh, one that doesn't fit very well with the nature of the type of pollution that's causing climate change. So, so it's unclear whether there's a legal basis or a legal requirement for the Clean Power Plan, if I understand right, correctly. Right, and that's why it's been in court, and, and the Supreme Court even issued a, a stay, which means it, it kind of held up the rule and said, you know, put put the pause button on it. And until the courts can figure out. Now, there's also some interesting things going on in that the Trump administration would like the courts to actually uh, extend those stays indefinitely while they work on revisiting the clean power plan. And they're doing this with the Waters of the U.S. rule, too. Uh, It's uh, unclear. You know, usually when a court issues a stay, it puts the pause button on until the court can hear the arguments and continue with the litigation and issue a ruling. Uh, What the Trump administration would like is the pause button to stay on and not to have the litigation proceed. Just keep the pause button on while they go back. Is that the litigation in district court? That's the litigation in the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals for the Clean Power Plan. It's also litigation in the Sixth Circuit uh, over the waters of the U.S. rule. And there's some question now whether that litigation will go forward. If the EPA actually did rescind those rules, then the litigation would be mooted out, okay? But they can't re- you can't rescind a rule unless you go through the same process that it took to create the rule in the first place. And agencies don't have powers just with the uh, the stroke of a pen or, you know, the, the snapping of their fingers to put a rule in place. There's a set of procedures under the Administrative Procedure Act that they have to follow. And it can take a year or more to develop a regulation. And that same process has to be followed to rescind a regulation or to take a deregulatory action as well. So, so this litigation is is still really technically supposed to go forward because the rules are on the books. They haven't been taken off and they can't really be taken off mm-hmm. for at least a year or more. Uh, so um, you're going to see probably in the you know, next uh, few weeks some news about whether the courts are going to go forward or whether they're going to 
hold back. I think it would be highly unusual for them to hold back in this circumstance because all that's happened right now is the Trump administration has announced that the clean power plan should be revisited and the waters of the U.S. rules should be revisited, not that they have been actually eliminated. They're still on the books. And as soon as that litigation is over, this, depending on how it goes, the stay would would be lifted. Okay, one more question on this, sure. just because it's, yeah. it's so interesting. So, and, and so critical, if this clean power plan or something like it is really required, yeah. okay, right. how can you water it down and come back with something else that is watered down, but still maybe meets the Trump administration's criteria to lessen the burden on particular parts of the economy or energy industry? Well, there's certain parts of the clean power plan that were legally contested about uh, the um, the requirements of power plants to reduce emissions, for example, within the confines or what's sometimes called the fence line of the power plant itself versus also reducing carbon emissions that are off-site by the use of the electricity that these power plants are producing. And the, and one question that's at the heart of the litigation is, you know, is this um, uh, some overreach by the EPA to extend beyond the confines of, of what is really directly in the power plant's control? Uh, so it's conceivable that... The EPA, in revisiting the clean power plan, could um, scale it back and say just impose some requirements within the fence line. For that's an example. Now it's also possible, though. See, the one eleven D provision is not a mandatory provision. It, it's it's one of those to go back to my distinction between the kind of rules that are discretionary versus the kind of rules that are mandated by statute. It's really more of the on the discretionary side. There was really nothing that ever compelled the EPA to go forward and regulate under 111D. Uh, they, hmm. um, they were being they were they were in some sense being responsive to the spirit of the Clean Air Act as it was interpreted by the court in Massachusetts versus EPA to, to cover Climate, And they were trying to make this statute that was never intended to cover these kind of globally mixed pollutants, try to make it fit. And this was a very creative uh, way of doing so legally. Uh, but Pruitt could say, you know, that's not the way we're going to go about it. And because it can take a while to develop regulations, uh, this administration uh, certainly – if it's only a one-term administration or or even if it's just looking at it, uh, the, the, the three-year, four-year horizon for the first term, they could just really kind of uh, take the, the clean power plan and uh, uh, sort of roll it back and, and rethink their strategy and, and take their time and just sort of run the clock out. Uh, the only questions will be whether in those cases uh, – where uh, there are mandates such as the provision calling for an endangerment finding under stationary sources, whether groups, uh, environmental groups might sue the 
administration and say, EPA, you've made an endangerment finding for automobiles. Now you now you have to make one under stationary sources. Under the Obama administration, no environmental group were, was going to take that kind of action. Why? Because there was a responsive administration to their concerns that was acting creatively under 111D to do what they wanted to do. But now uh, we're going to see litigation over the rescinding of the Clean Power Plan. That will that will be happening because to rescind that Clean Power Plan, the agency still has to defend its decision uh, in the same way it had to defend it to create it in the first place. Everything you have to do to create a rule in the first place, you have to do to get rid of a rule, too. So there will be litigation over whether the administration has provided enough justification and adequate evidence in, in, in order to mit- meet the, the so-called arbitrary and capricious test in rolling back the clean power plan. But then there's likely to be uh, litigation over forcing the agency to make an endangerment finding uh, on the stationary source side. It's going to be really it's interesting to see the, the, yeah. the legal contortions lot, around this. This is going to play out for some time. And I think, you know, from the bottom line for the environment, of course, uh, is that this is just going to mean, you know, years and years and years of, of sort of status quo. So for those who, you know, want to see us be making progress on addressing climate change problems. And, and I think there's a good number of people even in the business community who, who would think that. Uh, this, things are going to be on hold for a long time. You know, there's another uh, front or a strategy that, that the Trump administration is, is using to roll back regulations, and that's the Congressional Review Act. Uh, and that has been used by Congress to overturn some regulations or begin the process of overturning regulations that were passed in the final months of the Obama administration. And these include uh, the rules including uh, preventing uh, dumping of coal mine waste into streams, the stream protection rule, um, and reduction of methane emissions in energy production. Um, that's the methane rule. How does this work? And there's another interesting aspect to this, which is uh, it says that if these rules are overturned, no substantially similar rule can come to replace them in the future. So if these rollbacks are successful, does that mean the nails in the coffin, they can never come back? Not quite, but it's going to be difficult. Um, so the Congressional Review Act is a statute that uh, has only been used once before in the period of transition between the Clinton administration and the George W. Bush administration. It only it applies to rules uh, that are major rules and uh, says that Congress within 60 days has 60 session days within which it could pass resolutions of disapproval. And they're sort of fast track procedures. They're not subject to the filibuster. So there's procedural efficiencies in Congress to uh, advance these resolutions of disapproval. And so far, we've had uh, you know, more than a half a dozen r- rules disapproved, and, and the numbers keeps increasing um, uh, day by day. Rules that have passed, uh, have had resolutions of disapproval for them passed by uh, both houses of Congress and signed by President Trump. And you're right to say that when a rule is disapproved in the, uh, this way under the Congressional Review Act, there's a provision in the act that says that the agency is precluded then from issuing uh, another rule that's substantially similar. 
So, yes, it's, it's, it, it does sound like, gee, this is like the death knell of these regulations. They never can come back. Uh, and, and I think uh, one never wants to say never in the world of law. And there's two th- paths forward. One is for an agency to go forward and issue another rule that's not exactly the same, but maybe achieves most of the same objectives. Now, we're not likely to see that for any of these rules as long as Trump is president, mm-hmm. right? But a new administration coming in could pursue that and and test out in court what this substantially similar mean. Uh, that's never been litigated. We really don't know what it means. Uh, does it mean, you know, really I, almost identical? Or does it mean, you know, anything related to that same topic? And, uh, you know, I think you could test that and say, no, it's really closer to the nearly identical and not close to the end of the spectrum of on the same topic. Second thing that could happen, of course, is that Congress could step in and specifically authorize an agency sometime in the future. Again, won't happen under this administration for these rules, but could step in and say, oh, you know, even though uh, the stream protection rule was rescinded before, we are now going to uh, specifically authorize th- that. Even we, In fact, what you might even find is that a future Congress just says, we are putting back into effect legislatively the very identical rule that was developed before. This happened uh, once before. A good example is when the Food and Drug Administration in the 1990s put in place a regulation controlling tobacco, very controversial. Ultimately, it was uh, something that was struck down by the Supreme Court, which uh, said the FDA doesn't have any authority to regulate tobacco products. So it wasn't a matter of substantially similar. It just couldn't touch tobacco products after that. But 10 years later, Congress comes in and by legislation says, we are authorizing the FDA, A, to regulate tobacco, and B, we're legislatively saying that that rule they developed back in the 1990s is now back into effect. So never say never. It's going to be on hold, these things, but um, uh, they're still, uh, for those who who want to see these regulations in place, uh, there's still hope in the future. Obviously, for those people who are drinking from, wanting to fish in those streams that would have been protected for the next four years, they're really, you know, uh, out of luck. But uh, something, something, uh, elections matter. So the next uh, presidential election, uh, folks who care about the protections that regulations uh, yield uh, will need to take that into account. So the legislative branch may have to take take over where the, the executive branch no longer can, essentially. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, but I'll, again, the executive branch could be uh, trying this out and testing out, uh, you know, I think a, 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 a strong leader of a, in the Department of Interior that wants to reinvigorate uh, the stream protection regulations uh, could get some smart lawyers to find out a way of Essentially doing so, but not in a way that's identical. And then, yeah, and then, and then, and then let's see what substantially similar means. Okay, moving on yeah. to, to prong three of the approach here is, is uh, the defunding of uh, federal agencies such as the EPA, ARPA-E, which is the Advanced uh, Energy Technology Development Program, NOAA, and NASA. Um, what, what impact might 
these uh, defunding uh, movements have? Well, uh, they could they could be very significant in a number of respects. Uh, so you mentioned uh, not only EPA but agencies that are involved in continuing to do research on climate change. Uh, And so we will, um, as a country, know much less about these problems. And that will make it harder uh, somewhere down the road for for a a new administration to have the knowledge base needed to make smart and sensible climate policy in the future. So that's certainly – anytime we're we're sort of uh, uh, putting blinders on – uh, you know, is is problematic from the standpoint of anybody who wants smart regulatory policy. Uh, with EPA's funding cuts, which uh, the Trump administration has proposed over a 31 percent cut so far, and I understand there may be some further cuts that they want to propose coming forward, that will mean not only reductions in research, but also reductions in resources to enforce environmental laws. So even if rules aren't taken off of the books formally, uh, if they're no longer enforced, then if in a f- it's almost as if in effect they have been rolled there, back. There could be lawsuits around that though, right? Well, there are provisions in most environmental statutes for what are called citizen suits. And this was put in place – these were put in place by Congress uh, after the Reagan administration when there was a similar rollback in enforcement resources by EPA. And uh, they allow any – uh, environmental group or community group that's affected by uh, the pollution that uh, a company might be uh, emitting to stand in, a, in effect in the shoes of a government uh, enforcement agency and take take direct action. So that's possible. I, I think uh, you know that it's certainly um, a, a, a tall order for any nonprofit group to build the resources to enforce all the environmental laws against all the facilities in the country. But but there will be an ability, certainly, for citizen suits to go forward. There's another interesting aspect that I just wanted to bring up. Uh, Trump has also instructed agencies to identify rules that inhibit domestic energy production. Uh, it's kind of ambiguous, but what could this lead to? Well, I think it it may mean that uh, with uh, uh, hydraulic fracturing, uh, we'll see uh, you know uh, uh, very few new regulations that might address any environmental impacts that might be occurring through through that process. Uh, I think there's concerns about uh, with with fracking the methane leaks, which are. A, a, a climate pollutant, and we're seeing also in the president's climate policy a desire to revisit and roll back uh, control of, of methane emissions as well. Uh, you know, again, it comes back to the, your earlier question about what's the strategy here. Well, it's a strategy of less regulation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, uh, here's an unfair, impossible to answer question for you. Okay. What's the administration's batting average going to be when all of this is said and done? Well, uh, you know, first of all, you know, I should say that what we've been talking about so far has largely been a set of announcements and pronouncements by the administration. And so we haven't yet seen too many direct actions uh, that have taken place. The uh, What are some of the direct actions? Uh, the climate executive order from earlier this week did rescind some 
uh, earlier executive orders and presidential and White House guidance materials on climate change for the federal government. So those are gone. Um, and we, we've actually had some decisions on infrastructure projects like the Keystone XL and the Dakota Access Pipeline that have been approved. But a lot of the other regulatory changes and the budgetary changes have yet to go into effect. So it is a bit of crystal ball gazing here. Uh, for those who want to say, you know, take a, if you want to really press me on this, and, and those listeners who are, are really interested in knowing where we'll be in another four years, I think it's, it's interesting to note that this administration has largely been proceeding through executive a- action. Uh, at this point in time in most administrations, a president newly elected coming into office, they're usually working really hard on legislative changes. They've got goodwill They've behind got, their back, right? right? But this president has low popularity ratings. And now uh, after the sort of debacle at, at, with the recent attempt to repeal and replace Obamacare – uh, they've got a big legislative loss on on that column, and uh, and they're 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 pursuing what a strategy that you would m- usually see presidents take in this their second term or when they don't have a majority uh, in Congress of their same party. Here we have a president first term with majorities in both houses of Congress, and they're really just pursuing this executive game. Well, Obama did this at the end of his administration. Right, exactly. When he, when, he, when he didn't have Democrats in charge of, 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 of the House or the Senate, right? So he shifted to that. And so what we're seeing is a lot of, right now, efforts to roll back uh, the executive actions that Obama took. And if indeed that's the the most this administration does, then a new president can come in and reverse course again administratively. Uh, or if this administration, uh, you know, actually politically loses even more support uh, and 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 the Republicans lose control of the Senate or or and and you know weaken their majority in the House, uh, if the if the composition of the legislature changes and we get a new president, then maybe that new president can make some legislative changes. I mean, I think there's a good case to be made that uh, again because uh, of the way climate change is a problem is occurring, that that our current laws really aren't addressed to that. There's a good case to be made that we need new legislation on climate change. The good news uh, to the, to those who, who, who are, who want to see this uh, from the way the Trump administration is proceeding is at least they're not looking for legislative changes that would lock in kind of an anti- environmental mm-hmm. or anti-climate change approach, not to dismiss or diminish the, the impacts of what they are doing, but it, in, in terms of what a new administration would be able to do, and I know this is like, seems like forever to be talking about four or years down the road, if that would be the earliest time, but uh, it is useful since you ask, you know, looking back, where will this administration be? If that's it, I think it will have made some really significant shifts backward in terms of 
environmental protection, but it will uh, nevertheless um, have only done so in a way that that a new administration could relatively easily reverse and and try to rebuild. Now, it it can take a while. I know after the Republican uh, 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 efforts under the Reagan administration to to, to decrease the funding of EPA, it took a long time, sort of, for EPA to kind of rebuild the morale and and uh, and the and the momentum to be a, a vigorous in, in enforcement authority. Uh, but but those things are uh, are manageable to an extent that uh, you know serious legislative change is is hard to hard to overcome, as this president has seen already with the Affordable Care Act. One final question I have to ask you. The states, and I'm particularly thinking about California Mm -hmm. and its air waivers for Mm -hmm. for, uh, protection of of air quality. What can the states do collectively or amongst a number of states? I'm thinking Massachusetts, New York, California, to hold their own uh, and to create some reverse momentum here. Well, certainly they can, or, or at least to, to try to keep some momentum moving forward in in the climate area. Uh, you know, they if if the EPA is not going to go forward, you know, states can, and they already have developed various regional trading regimes for carbon emissions. Obviously, they don't cover the whole country, but they are something. And California seems pledged to move forward on the climate front. And with respect to automobile emissions, that's another area where. Uh, California has traditionally had a waiver from federal standards uh, or ability to, 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 to get a waiver from federal standards. And uh, I think, you know, you, uh, you want to be watching ahead uh, for what's happening in the states, definitely. We've been talking with Carrie Colonese, professor of law and political science at the University of Pennsylvania and director of the Penn Program on Regulation. Carrie, thanks for talking. Thank you, Andy. Good talking to you. And thanks to our listeners for joining us. At this point, I'd like to ask for your help in getting the word out about Energy Policy Now. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a positive review and a five-star rating on iTunes. That will help bring new listeners in. And if you have any comments or suggestions regarding this podcast, please write and let us know. Our email address is kleinmanenergy at upenn.edu. Have a great day.